All right, good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Welcome to Huddle. Any uh, first time guests by chance today? First time? All right. All right, let's welcome them, everybody. Let's also show our appreciation to uh, the lovely ladies over here that service every day. Thank you so much. So this is going to be our last week uh, with uh, Demetrius on his series. Uh, we appreciate you. We love you. Come on up here. Uh, we'll, we'll pray for you. Uh, next week we're going to have a, a testimony. Terry Query is going to be here doing his testimony. And then we're going to have another three-week series on prayer. Travis Tafflinger and uh, there's a group of pastors that, that pray weekly. They're going to be here uh, sharing um, on prayer for three weeks. So... Um, we love you. Thank you. Right. Let's pray. Thank you. Father God, thank you so much for today, and uh, thank you uh, for just being creator. God, we just thank you for your son Jesus in this time, and this uh, tool that you created uh, called Huddle through Jim Jacobs. Uh, God, we just thank you for Demetrius and his life, and just uh, his sacrifice uh, for giving up uh, some work time to be here to share his heart, Lord. Bless us through to our bodies. Challenge us as we go out of here. Help us to be obedient to your divine appointments in our life. God, we love you so much. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, this is some, I'm so appreciative to be here and this being my third week. The best thing that ever, thank you, I could use that. Yeah. The best thing that has happened to me um, in the last couple of days is I have food poisoning. Um, I know, y'all saying that's a good thing. Well, I lost 14 pounds. So it was, maybe I need food poison more often. So, um, but we have been going through this journey. Um, the first week, we talked about love after lockup. Our second week, we talked about getting on the soul train and the things that can happen to guys before they get on and for guys that when as you're riding that soul train as you walk with Christ what you should be looking for and seeing and our last one is going to be who is Jesus to you because you know a lot of times people will look at me and they'll they'll look at what I have on and I say this all the time you can't look at what I have on because I wear everything right and so um, I remember one time I was in Vegas for a fight, and uh, uh, I had on a Dallas. No, I wasn't fighting. I went to go see a fight, and uh, a professional fight, not a not a street fight. And um, while I was there, I had on a Dallas Cowboy uh, sweatsuit, and a guy walked up, and he was like, "Man, I love the Cowboys. The Cowboys. The Cowboys." I think he was drunk. And he handed me 50 bucks. And he said, go put 50 on them for me. Well, I didn't go put 50 on them for him. I just took the 50 bucks. And, uh, but it's a perfect example of if we say who Jesus really is to us, there should be something about us that people see in us to be able to understand what it is. And, uh, and what Jesus is all about. And so 
I just want to minister to you. I'm looking at my time, too, because I want to play a song for you at the end. Um, and if you would, just go to my next verse. Um, Luke, the ninth chapter, the 18th verse, it says, And it happened, he was alone praying. And his disciples joined him and asked them, saying, Who do the crowd say that I am? They answered and said, John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say the old prophets, which has risen again. The first thing that you see in that scripture is Jesus is alone. And then the disciples have to come to Jesus. And so one of the things that you can't say that you really walk with Jesus unless you have a prayer life and a walking life. A walking life is important because, you know, a lot of times people say there's an attack on Christianity. There's an attack on Christianity. How many of you ever heard that? There's an attack on Christianity. I want you to understand something. I really, yeah, there is an attack on Christianity, but the attack, the attack is from the inside out, not the outside in. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? What good does it do all of us to show up for all these huddles, go to church every week, but if you ask anybody anything about you, they say that's the nastiest, meanest uh, man I have met in my life. And so when we say there's an attack on Christianity, I think the real attack is what are we professing in our daily walk to show that Jesus really is alive? And so when people have this perspective of who Christ is, they generally get it from other people. When people leave a church and say, I'm never going back to that church again, and trust me, I was a pastor for almost 20 years, and I would call that person up, and they'd be like, I'm Lee, I'm out. And I'd be like, well, why? And they'd be like, well, this person said this to me, or that person said this to me, or this is what happened when you weren't around. And I start to wonder, well, I didn't say it to you, so can you still keep coming to the church, right? But what happens is other people are influenced by our behavior. And if we're not behaving correctly, why would the world think anything about the Jesus that we say we follow? Because I'm here to tell you something. Nobody in this world is looking for Jesus, Peter, Moses, John, or any of these other people. They're going to be looking right at you. And you are the representation of who Christ really is. Go to my next verse. And it says, but he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. So my question to you would be, what perspective are you looking at of Christ? Do you have a crowd perspective of who Jesus is? Or do you have a real relationship with Christ that actually solidifies in your daily walk, in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit, who Jesus really is? Amen. You know, I wore my, this shirt says the head of the table. It's actually a wrestler, a professional wrestler shirt, but I thought it was so neat that he calls himself the head of the table, so I figured when I wear it, you know, when I preach, everybody's going to assume this means Jesus, and it does for me. For other people, it can mean Roman Reigns, the wrestler, right? 
But one of the things that we have to understand is how can we really know Jesus? If he's not performing the miracle in your life right now, if he's not doing the thing that you've been praying for, how can we truly know Jesus? And I would tell you there is a process in getting to know who Jesus is. And it started when you first got saved. And I'll, and I'll show you that as we go in the scripture. In John, the second chapter, there's a, a familiar story of the feeding of the 5,000. And it says a huge crowd, crowd following him wherever he went. Because they saw the miraculous signs, he healed the sick. Now, take, take this into account. They're only following him because of what they were getting and what they saw other people get. Are y'all with me? And so one of the things, it's easy to follow Jesus when he's doing everything you want him to do. It's easy to follow Jesus when everybody is treating you kindly or nicely. It's easy to follow him then. But when somebody sticks the finger out the window when you're driving, I wonder if you are sticking the finger back out at them or you just cussing them out under your breath in your car. <laughs> because until you get really tested, you're never going to know who Jesus really is. And we'll talk about that testing here in a second. But it says, but Jesus climbed the hill. He sat down with the disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he said, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? In Matthew, the 14th chapter, and I don't have it for you to look at, it says, when it was evening, the disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. One of the things that you have to understand, and I think it's all of us, relationship with Christ can begin in a deserted place. I think that many of us, I've only really met two people that told me when they came to Christ, life was perfect. Life was great. And all of a sudden, they decided on that day, I want to give my life to Christ. Life was so great. Man, to add this to my life, it'd be so much better. And I would say those are the rarities of coming to Christ. Most of us came to Christ broken, messed up, hurt, having circumstances completely unresolved. Uh, most of us came to Christ not knowing what direction to go, not knowing what to do. Because it starts in a deserted place. And you say, how does this help me to minister to others? Because when you see other people in this deserted place, don't be so afraid. Don't be so uh, 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 surprised that their lives are messed up because they don't have Christ in them, in their lives. And so we have to understand that many times, even when God wants to do something brand new in our lives, it generally comes from a deserted place. Remember, Jesus himself, he didn't get baptized in front of the world. He got baptized in the wilderness by John. Before Jesus won one disciple, before he did anything that was significant that we read about, what did he have to do? Go to the desert for 40 days and 40 nights to be tested and tempted. 
It generally starts, and I don't know who's in here right now saying, Pastor D, I don't know. You just don't know what I've been going through. You just don't understand how hurt I am and the struggles that I'm having with myself. There's some things in my life that I haven't been able to get rid of. There's some areas of my life that doesn't quite measure up. And I would say to you, this is a good time for you because Jesus normally comes in the desert when there is no place to turn, when there is no place to go. The one thing about the desert that I need to share with you is we're going to have to learn instead of getting bad attitudes and getting bitter when Jesus doesn't, when they, when God doesn't answer our prayers, that we stay in a consistent mode of trusting who Christ is. That is important that, that the consistency of our walk has to step up so that others around us will know. They also need to know our lives are in a bowl of cherries and with cream. We go through things too. And when we go through things, it is how we go through them that determines the Christ in our life. It's not because you're going through something. But learning to acquire the taste is a simple way. There's two things that I've done in my life, and I learned to acquire the taste. The first thing was cigarettes. Because the first time I smoked a cigarette, I was coughing, choking, turned purple. But I kept smoking. And eventually, I was able to smoke, and then nothing happened. It was just smoking in my little Newport, right? The other thing that I tried in my life that I learned to acquire the taste, alcohol. The first time, I remember I was, it was at my grandpa's house, and he had some old turkey sit, sit on the side, right? So, I remember going into that little cabinet when my grandma and grandpa went around and took my first swig. And boy, I about choked off of that, right? But I found out I had to acquire the taste for it. I don't care what any of y'all say, beer is nasty. I don't care what you say. The first time I drank a beer, it was disgusting. But you can what? Acquire the taste. And the same thing has to work in your spiritual life. There are times that it seems like God is far away from us. There are times it feels like he isn't listening or responding. But you're going to have to learn to acquire the taste for God. That there are times you're going to feel lonely, you're going to feel grief, you're going to feel bad. And you have to learn, keep on drinking that Jesus, keep on drinking that Bible scripture, keep on coming to huddle, keep on going to your local church, keep going to prayer services with other men, keep doing the things till you acquire the taste. But look what happens when they said, where can we buy food? to bread, to feed all these people. In verse 6, he says, he was testing Philip. Jesus was already in testing mode because he already knew what he was going to do. We have to talk about being tested. Some of you in this room right now may feel like failures. You may feel like, you know, every time I get tested in this one particular area of my life, 
It seems like I always come up short. It seems like, and you know what, just to share something with you. I remember when my son was running away and I was having a lot of problems with him as a teenager. And, you know, there were times I said, Lord, I'm going to place this boy in your hands, right? And I'm going to trust you that you're going to turn this circumstance around for my son. And my son, every time I seemed like I would say that, he got worse and worse. I thank God, no, my son was never arrested or anything of that nature, but goodness, that, that at the time, I didn't think that was the worst thing could happen. I kind of wanted him to get arrested, hoping it would change him, right? But I remember really telling him one day, I'm not going to yell at you anymore. I'm not going to say anything to you anymore. I'm just going to lay you in the hands of God and trust God. That didn't work very long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to acquire a taste. Because I'm telling you, I struggle. And yes, when people, sometimes when people sit around me and, uh, and they, you know, some words come out of their mouth, you know, they'll look at me and say, oh, I'm so sorry, pastor. I didn't mean to say that in front of you. And I'm like, no, my son's heard cuss words before. And no, I'm not boasting and bragging that I cussed out my son a couple of times. But what I will say to you is this. The truth is I found out that I was being tested and I failed miserably. And one of the things that we have to understand is yes, you are being tested, but you are not being graded. And I know you say, but I don't get it. God doesn't test us to give you a grade. He tests you to develop you. Amen. The reason why I know this is a fact it's because if I take that same circumstance with my son, I got about 50X. Eventually, I got me a C. Eventually, I got a B. And I got, and then finally, I figure I may, I won't say I had an A plus, but I was A minus. There was really nothing he could do to rile me up. But if I take my A minus, my C, and my 40 Fs, guess what that is? I fail. It doesn't matter. And this is how you know God's not grading you. Because you may have an area in your life where you failed multiple times. But he's not trying to test you to give you a grade. He's testing you to develop you. Because in Job, the Bible clearly states to us, but he knows where I'm going. And when he tests me, I will come out pure as gold. Remember, he's only developing you. Quit looking at your failures as something so horrible. Sometimes the failures show you how much you need Christ really in your life. I think sometimes we get away from really understanding that we need him every day. There's a song we used to sing, I need thee. Every what? Hour. Not every day. Not every hour. Every I need thee. Every minute. And he said every minute. Absolutely. 
And I think we don't realize it's not a day, it's not a moment, it is every moment of your life you need him to show up and to show out in your life. Look at verse number seven. But Philip replied, if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Go to the next slide if you would, because this is so important. Everybody say, only God, only God can do it. Listen, guys, he never intended for you to be self-reliant. And I know we're some independent guys. Everybody wants to do it on their own. Everybody gets on the Internet now to fix on their own, right? Every, we're becoming such a self-reliant people. And God never intended for you to be self-reliant. He don't want you to be self-reliant with your kids. He don't want you to be self-reliant in your marriage. He don't want you to be self-reliant on your job. He doesn't want you to be self-reliant with your finances because many of us in this room have found our finances is not enough because you can have all the money in the world, but if your life, your spiritual life is messed up, you'll blow it all. You'll mess it up. It won't matter to your kids. It won't matter to your wife how much money you made. It will matter how much you depended and leaned on God. That's my God. Yes, sir, it is. Go to the next verse. But look at what Andrew, it says, Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with such a huge crowd? Man, this one is a trip right here. Because this scripture, not only do we hear Andrew, we get to find out his lineage, Simon Peter's brother. We get the names and details of the relationship. But here's something that you need to know. And then he says, but there's this young boy here. We don't get a name. We don't get a detail of what brought him out there. We don't get any of these things. And yet, Jesus is ready to use the least likeliest person in that setting. One of the things that is difficult for us to understand as we walk with him is you have what people need. You think that you don't have what people need. Having what people need is not based on financial status, what kind of house you live in, what kind of car you drive. I see Rex over here. I'm still waiting on my Escalade, brother. And no, I want a blessing. I don't want a deal. <laughs> I got to tell you this story. Years ago, and it's had to be well over 10 years ago, I meet Rex and I was having some truck problems. My truck was breaking down and I needed a new truck. And, and just so happened Rex was around and he heard, you know, that, that I needed a new truck. And Rex handed me his car and he says, hey man, come see me. I, 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 he's like, I'll make you, I'll give you a deal. And I looked at Rex and I said, I don't want a deal, I want a blessing. <laughs> so I'm still waiting on that blessing. <laughs> it's 10 years later. You can still do it. The Lord is, I feel the Lord is speaking to you right now. <laughs> Keep praying. Keep praying and walking, right? <laughs> the beautiful thing is God uses ordinary people. 
He's only going to use the ordinary. Your name doesn't have to be called. Nobody has to know who you are, but yet you can have the very thing that God wants to use in somebody's life. And I know sometimes we look at, you know, the pulpits in our churches and we look at the men that we may admire as being uh, uh, good men of God. But the truth is, God chooses the ordinary. It's not a matter of, I, I think that there is a gift and talent in what I do, and I'm, I, I'm grateful. I feel like when I get to get up, he's using uh, the least likely. I don't think that I would have been here if it had not been for God. As a matter of fact, I know I wouldn't be here if it had not been for God. I know that for a fact, you know, as I pastor, I'm the only black pastor in Kokomo to ever have had a majority white congregation. That's not because I was so great. I went through 10 years, there weren't 15 people in my church. There was a lot of pain in that, a lot of struggle in that. Lost, almost lost my marriage in that. But he uses the least likely. And even though, if you, went, if you looked at my first 10 years of pastoring, You'll see a lot of F's, a lot of F's, didn't pass, didn't pass, didn't pass, didn't pass. But that's the beautiful thing about our Savior. He'll still get, he's the only person I know that will walk into a room, have a beautiful china closet of china sitting there that he could use. And he goes and gets a dirty, filthy plate and he decides to have his meal on that plate. It's the only person I know would do that. And one of the things we have to realize is he wants to use you. I don't care how many times you fail. I don't care how many mistakes you've made. I don't care that you don't even believe in yourself to do the right thing when you leave here. None of that matters because he uses the least likeliest person. Verse 10. Look at what Jesus says. He says, tell everybody to sit down. And Jesus said, so they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men numbered alone about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves. He gave thanks to God, distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. Here's the beautiful thing about Christ in our lives. He's the only person I know that one minute you're in the desert. And instead of moving the desert, he just finds a way to put grass in. That somewhere along the line, one minute we're in a deserted place, and the next minute there's grass there for us to sit down upon. And I need you to understand of what he is doing in your life. You gotta find the grass in the middle of your desert. You gotta be willing to listen to what Christ wants to say in your life to be able to find that grass. Matthew, the 14th chapter. Look at what it says. It says, he commanded the multitude, sit down on the grass. He took five loaves. He took two fish. Looking up to heaven, he blessed, he broke, and he gave the loaves. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. And this is uh, such an important, that you are blessed, you're broken, and then you're given. I think sometimes what happens is, we, some of us don't even believe we're blessed. Well, everybody shout, I'm blessed. Come on, say I'm blessed. You are. And the other part of that is, I think we all have been broken 
to a certain extent with something, some issue, some problem, some circumstance. But the last part is the hardest part, and that's the giving part. How much are you willing to give of yourself when you're broken? How often will you still talk about Christ to others when you're broken? How often will you behave like Christ when nothing in your life seems to be going right or well? You must start understanding the process to knowing who Jesus is, is to know that you're blessed, you're broken, and you're willing to give of yourself, even when you don't feel like it. Go to the last verse. Verse 12, it says, after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. The one thing that you have to understand, nothing is wasted when it comes to God. Every test, every trial, every failure, nothing is wasted in your walk with him. He will turn your worst night into a daybreak. He'll turn your worst sin into a mere blessing for someone else. He'll take your worst circumstance and it will be used for healing for somebody else's life. Nothing is wasted. And the reason why nothing is wasted is for this very reason. Jesus saves. I don't care what you say, but I know Jesus saves. I don't care if you've been an alcoholic. Jesus saves. I don't care if you're a weedaholic. Jesus saves. I don't care if you're an angry, <laughs> angry man, bitter man. Jesus saves. He can deliver any circumstance, any situation, any test, any trial. Because Jesus saves any pain, any issue. It wasn't for nothing. Listen, sometimes when you go through things, you think it's all for nothing. It's not for nothing. It is so that he can prove that Jesus saves. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your healing power. Thank you for your anointing. Father, thank you for sharing with these men today that you still are a real Savior. Now move upon the hearts of each and every one of these men, even as they talk at their tables. Lord, show them that you save. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would play that song, and you can play it. Yes, play that song. I got five minutes. Play that next, the next slide, if you would. Go to the next one. Thank you. God bless.
Friends that are in wheelchairs. 